Hey, everybody. How's it going? I hope you're having a great day today. Uh, I'm really excited to present this episode of the podcast with Ryan Brewer and Kevin Paul from the United States Army Band Pershing's own, as well as the creators of the Military Trumpet Jobs website and social media presence. And obviously, they've collaborated with so many people at this point. If you're familiar with their platform, they've collaborated with so many people at this point to provide really high-quality education for um, military band uh, excerpts and how to perform them and just what a job is like in a military band. So I was thankful to be able to talk to them to get to know a little bit more about that myself. But we also wanted to come together and provide a resource for all of you to be able to get more information about how to make a better tape for a, uh, whether it's an audition or anything really that you'd make a tape for. You know, they have had a few auditions over the years and they've listened to hundreds of tapes and they talked to me about some of the most common mistakes that they see or that they hear people make. And they wanted to just provide something that would help people know what to look out for, know what that they're looking out for, and just in general, how it's perceived when some of these make mistakes are made so that uh, we can all just be better. Um, and we can all make better tapes and they can have better experiences listening to them. And so I really hope that this can serve to um, be that for you if that's something you're interested in. Um, in addition to that, before we get started, I just want to take a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar with them, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest level of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. Finding the right equipment for you is essential for ease of production and enjoyment of playing in your music making, but needing to rent or buy things to try them out can be time-consuming and quite expensive. If you're looking for a way to learn about new horns or other equipment, check out Houghton Horns. They offer free in-person virtual equipment consultations with their team of professional musicians, which means that whether you live in Keller, Texas, or you live outside the United States, Houghton Horns is able to serve you. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. So whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you're looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and today I'm very excited to be here with Ryan Brewer and Kevin Paul, two members of the United States Army Band Pershing's Own. In addition to that, especially throughout the pandemic, they've been incredibly active uh, at the Military Trumpet Jobs uh, Facebook and Instagram presence and just trying to provide resources for people to be able to know what uh, orchestra, or sorry, military band excerpts sound like what things we you know, need to be able to do to be able to play them well because they're a little bit different than orchestral excerpts and just kind of spreading uh, the, the word about what it is to be in a military band because it's different than what we understand to be in an orchestra. And so I'm excited to dig into that later in the interview, kind of what prompted them starting it. 
and trying to get a sense of where they see it going and just kind of what what it's been like. I'm just kind of want to dive into that. But before we get into all of that, um, I just want to start with by saying, guys, thank you so much for uh, being willing to give me some of your time and uh, being on the podcast this afternoon. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It's it's our pleasure. We love this podcast. Big fans. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think that this that's how this whole collaboration started. I think one of you guys reached out and said, like, I'm digging the podcast. And then I asked if there was any any content you'd want to see. And here we are. So Yeah, we want to see us, please. <laughs> it wasn't quite that conversation, but we'll get into how this all got there. But before that, let's just start with kind of some of your guys' backstory. Uh, we'll start with Ryan. Just uh, go take us as far back as you need to to get us a sense of maybe how you got started um, uh, in music with the trumpet and just some of your paths so we can kind of get a sense of um, where you've been and, and how you got to where you are. Sure. Um, I grew up in Texas. I lived there my whole life until um, until I joined the Army. But I started trumpet in sixth grade like most other people, I would imagine. Um, went to University of North Texas um, where I studied performance and you know got to got to play in a lot of different groups over there so I, I really got exposed to a lot of different types of music whether it was uh, symphonic band, the orchestra, um, big band or brass band we had a British style brass band that was pretty awesome. Um, there was baroque trumpet ensemble so I I pretty much did everything that I could while I was at UNT. Um, and that was awesome. I graduated in 2013 and then um, took a year off to teach. And then I did my master's in music at Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches, which is East Texas, almost Louisiana. Um, and then my, like, right during, during grad school, I started doing a lot more auditions and for festivals and competitions and things like that. So, um, yeah, that was that was when I auditioned for the Army Field Band, and I was able to get that about a month before graduating. Um, and thankfully, they let me finish my degree, and then I went to you know NRO and the basic training, and then um, and then I joined the Army Field Band, where I played. Um, I was co-principal trumpet along with Kevin for a short time uh, when we overlapped. And then I also played commercial lead trumpet whenever um, whenever they would call for that. And then I played Nebraska quintet, and it was it was a really really fun job, like touring all over the place. Um, and then last year, right before the pandemic, about a month before, um, I won the U.S. Army Band Pershing's own audition for the ceremonial band, um, and I've been there since October. So basically, I'm just following Kevin Paul around. <laughs> I guess I didn't realize that you were. Uh, that recent uh, with this particular job, like the the way it's presented, it feels like you've been a a longer term member. So that's pretty cool. It seems like you've already sort of settled in and feel comfortable. Oh yeah, for sure. They've done a wonderful job of helping me feel that way. <laughs> awesome. Oh, what about you, Kevin? Uh, can you just take us through a similar road in your own in your own career? Uh, so I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I started playing trumpet at the age of ten. Um, studied with guys in the LA Chamber, LA Opera. Dave Washburn was a wonderful trumpet teacher. Um, got me a good foundation. And I remember take, going to um, like a festival with the, the high school bands, essentially Ellington in, in New York City. And, and I, uh, I, was, I was just 
totally obsessed with New York at that point. I remember seeing the Met, Wynton Marsalis, Wynton Marsalis, like played with our high school band. And I was just infatuated with the culture of being able to go to Carnegie. And so after that, I went to the Manus College of Music and the Manhattan School of Music for my master's. And I did a dual degree at Columbia University um, for a master's in education. Um, so after that, I did a kind of like a victory lap for that ed degree. And um, teaching is, is a wonderful career. I just, I didn't quite have the patience for it yet. <laughs> so I did a lot of freelance, uh, played on some Broadway shows, a lot of Korean church gigs, and uh, lots of auditions. I was lucky enough to be acting principal trumpet of the China National Symphony Orchestra in 2013. And I, on tour with them in the States, um, I won my job with the Army Field Band. So I went from uh, Communist Chinese Orchestra to America Hull Basic Training. <laughs> stop. And um, I was in the field band playing uh, co-principal with Ryan Brewer. We were tour roommates. Um, so yeah, we toured in, in, I think, every state in the continental U.S. together as tour roommates. And oh, uh, wow. after that, I think about five years in, having, you know, a kid, um, I, I decided that, you know, I, I loved what I was doing, but I wanted to get off the road. So I was lucky enough to win a job with the Army Band Pershing Zone in 2018. And I've been there ever since. I played with the Ceremonial Band and the Herald Trumpets. That's awesome. Um, I remember, I mean, I remember, this is recent enough that I remember seeing all the, fo- the social media posts and stuff like that. And it seems like you as well um, seem really happy with the the position and it's seems like things are just going really well. So it's exciting to see that you've kind of found a place that um, you feel settled, it seems like. Yes, I'm grateful, very grateful. So you guys have a job now, both of you in a place where um, you seem to be pretty settled, like we were saying, and it's clearly a great job um, for me and my life experience to be able to be successful and win a job at this level. It kind of has, at least the way I've seen it, like I said, it's got to be sort of a very strong desire from a relatively early age, you know, kind of having our work, not necessarily that we're, I mean, I made the mistake of thinking I could just like work hard and force my way into that kind of thing. But I do think that you do sort of need to orient your work and your practicing and stuff around this kind of goal. Uh, Do you feel, I mean, maybe Ryan will, will come back and start and go with you. Do you feel like that was true for you that from a younger age, you had a clear desire that you wanted to uh, be in an ensemble of this caliber, or did you just sort of follow where your practicing was headed? And this just seemed like something that you not fell into, but it became you became aware of that you wanted this later uh, in your career. So, I I think I always tell people that I I knew I wanted to be a professional trumpet player in seventh grade. So my second year of playing. That was when I, you know, I started separating a little bit from from my students or fellow students at school because I just really loved it. Um, and I was just really into it, taking consistent lessons, which I'm very grateful my parents, you know, supported me in that and encouraged that. And my um my band program at the time was super encouraging um of that as well. But uh, yeah, I knew I knew I wanted to to do this. I didn't know what capacity I wanted to play the trumpet professionally, um, but I remember you know hearing the music from the Incredibles 
when that movie came out because that was right around the time I was in seventh grade. Um, and just hearing wh- who I now know is Wayne Bergeron and Rick Baptist at the time, just shredding. Yeah. Um, I was like, I didn't know trumpet players could do that, but that sounds awesome. I want to do that. Um, you know, and then just experimenting with ways to to make that sound possible, and and for you know, obviously on the on the commercial side, I feel like that is a big influence for for my sound concept. Um, but you know, I was I was taking lessons very regularly and getting um, you know good good input from from good players, um, and then you know, so I was practicing a lot, but I didn't. I feel like I didn't really learn how to practice until I got into grad school. It didn't become nearly as um, intentional and specific until grad school. And that's when I started uh, putting myself out there more and doing competitions and auditions and recording myself. And then once once I had a few tries at those things, then I started to see some success. So yeah, it, it took it took me a long time before I really kind of figured out how to do it. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah. Uh, Kevin, you and I have enough mutual friends throughout the years that I I, I could be wrong about this, but I have a, a, my understanding is that you have long, like you have oriented your work towards this kind of thing for a long time. I think you were constantly asking people just to to listen and to play things for people because you were just wanting, you know, feedback and all that kind of stuff. That's the 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 Dobrinsky and like Eli and guys like that. So um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, I, we'd rather hear it from your mouth, but uh, that's kind of my understanding of it for you. Yeah, I was uh, pretty obsessed from an early age, um, like L.A. hearing like great players, studio musicians, and you know, Whit Marsalis and. I mean, I, I guess I same thing with Ryan. I, I didn't know how to really practice until grad school. But yes, I was pretty um, annoying, I would say, with asking everyone and everyone's mother to listen to this. How do I sound, man? Hey, man, how do I sound? So I think anyone who knows me, if you, you say Kevin Paul, they'd be like, hey, man, how do I sound? So <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the stories, I suppose. But it's interesting, you know, that you would be that you would be so, like, in the face of everything, you're just like, I just want to get better. I want to know how it is. Like, I, I, I just know, I, I don't know what I got to do. I just know I got to get better. And I think there's, like, that attitude put on any kind of skill you're trying to learn is, like, how people learn. The people that are willing to just put themselves out there. And whether it's, a, you know, the best question, the smartest question, or it's, like, not a smart question. And it just seems so obvious, the people that are willing to do that. So, um Obviously, the proof is in the pudding, and you grew and you learned, and now you have a great job. So obviously, there's something to your desire to continue to get feedback and grow and get better and not just become complacent with like, this is how I sound or this is what I do. Do you feel like you ever, we'll stick with you, Kevin, do you feel like you ever struggled with like, well, this is how I sound right now and it doesn't seem like it's getting better. And like, how did you break through various plateaus in terms of your approach to the trumpet? Hopefully that question makes sense. Yeah, I, uh, I've i had so many uh, plateaus and I, I think that uh, I, I'm such a curious person and I've, I've bugged so many people. Um, I've gotten to, I think, I think maybe I, I, I crossed over a plateau a couple months ago. Um, yeah, I, th- I think recording myself a lot more. Every time I have an aha moment, 
it's because I, okay, I've learned how to record or I've had this amazing experience at work that kind of forced me to figure it out, like jumping in the deep end or the water. Um, and I, I think that answers the question, but yeah, I, yeah. It, mo- like really um, defining moments, I guess, where that, that forces me to, to like kind of dig down deep and, and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to kind of your question about how you get better through plateaus and things like that. Um, I think for me, a huge thing was like, like Kevin was saying, bothering people, getting, getting people's opinion, putting yourself out there and not only doing that, but um, once you've recorded yourself, comparing it to the people that you want to sound like, and then just look at it side by side and say, what's the difference? Why don't I sound as good as Bud Herseth? You know, um, and then and then you can start getting into the really nitty gritty things that make great trumpet players great. You know, their fronts, their sustain, their their tone production. You know, their their ability to to get that sparkle and energy right at the beginning of the sound. All that stuff. Those yeah. are those are things that you can really dig into if you're looking at what you do side by side with what they're doing. Okay. I totally agree with that. One wrench to throw into that is it can be really easy to get into the emotional side of being comparative, right? Being comparative from an objective, like this is what's different. I hear different fronts. I hear a different tone. The sound is fuller. That's a very productive use of being comparative, but it can be easy to fall into, well, they're so good and I'm not that good and I'll never get there. It just seems hopeless and it can be somewhat demoralizing when staying, because we have to we have to like stay in that comparative state to some degree to continue to move forward. So when mm-hmm. we're constantly there, it can be just demoralizing that we constantly feel like we're never, quote, good enough because it's an emotional comparison. How do you deal with that i if if i'm ever feeling that way then i just start comparing myself to me um that like honestly that's most of what i'm doing when i'm comparing i'm comparing like what i what i view as you know a really good take of something to another take right and and just saying why why is this one better um and now that i have the experience of having like sat on a panel um and know what people are listening for, it's really easy for me to say like, yep, this take is better because of this, this, and this. Um, and I don't know. I, I I just haven't, I guess I've avoided feeling that way for most of my career, uh, feeling demoralized because I just, I mean, I just want to get better and it, you know, playing the trumpet makes me happy. So I feel really happy, really blessed that I can, that I can do this. Yeah, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, I, uh, I think the, what, what hit it for me was once I stopped going to auditions and competing with other people and sort of like enjoying it, like, Hey, I get to like meet all these different people. I get to, it's like working up a marathon, like a marathon you do, you're not competing with other people. You're sort of like competing with yourself. And I was sort of equating like a, an audition with, with a marathon. So I I would show up and it'd be like, this is really, I was like, I'm going to, positive thinking like i'm gonna have really a lot of fun with this i've started making friends that are actually lifelong friends and people that i work with and if you you have a we're all in together kind of a thing and you know like how how much better can i get and what can i learn about myself in this experience so like how do i need to prepare based on how i'm feeling this time and i can you know fix that in my preparation so next time 
you know, like a, kind of like a video game, you know, next level, you know, he's getting to the next level, better equipment kind of a thing. I'm thinking equated like thinking about Diablo, but you know, if I start thinking of auditions that way, and I, I think the positive thinking and, and uh, we're in it together, like mentality really, I started advancing and actually winning some auditions. One of the things that's hard for me about auditions, at least at the stage that I am now, it wasn't always that way, but now that I have a job is that the, the auditions that I'll take that are, you know, a step up, right? Instead of a lateral move or something that was, you know, and it, and like that's all arbitrary anyway. What's a lateral move and what's ahead or behind? But we'll we'll use pay to be the determining factor for right now. You know, those jobs uh, don't come open super often, and so uh, you know when you think about sporting events, let's say you know it's something like uh, a competition that happens every single year or happens like, you know, I guess like the Olympics every two years, every four years. It's like, you know, you're going to have another shot and you can build up for this type of thing. But something like an audition feels like you don't know when they're going to open up and you, you know, you don't know what your life is going to look like when it opens up. If you're, you know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. it becomes hard to, you know, because we get so much better through really preparing for auditions. And so, that's one thing I've really tried to do is figure out, well, how can I set audition-like standards and parameters around progression in my own practice so I can continue to get better at that rate? For you guys who have jobs where you may not be auditioning for many other jobs, uh, you know, because it's, you know, basically like up there, you know, what what is it like for you to continue to try to get better without something like an audition? Go ahead, Kevin. I have been trying to figure that out. Um, I love taking auditions. I I was, you know, when I was in the field band, I was taking auditions. I felt like I I was figuring so much, so many things out about my playing, about me as a person. I, as I told you, I love meeting all these people, and it was just like a fun experience for me. Even if I didn't advance, it was still a, it was still like a great. Feel. I guess when you have a job, it's easier to to take an audition. In some ways, it's not. Um, but yeah, I thinking about um, about that. I I've been thinking about that a lot about what I can do in my practice session after having a job to maintain that like you know constant progress. Like I'm taking an audition. Um, yeah, I I'd love to pick your brain about that at some point after this. But yeah, I've been you know I have excerpts that I play. I have etudes. I have like a, I try to do a recital or a tour. Uh, something or a brass ensemble performance were something like every, you know, like I would have an audition every couple months, something where I can, I can look forward to that. I'm working something up on top of my job every couple months. And that, that keeps me motivated in my base level um, playing, always getting better or trying to get better or always curious. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts, Ryan? Yeah, I think for me, it's it's just it's all about I always remember um one thing that my late teacher at UNT uh Keith Johnson told me you you have to become your own teacher um and so for me what that means is kind of redefining my standard like revisiting my standard every time I play the trumpet um and I think every time I have any kind of small success um, you know, even if it's something as simple as like, I played this, this like really well in a practice session. If I have that small level of success there, that to me increases my standard for, for myself. Like now I don't want to play any worse than this 
because th- I know this is my best and I can do this. So I think just that that constant attitude of like additive attitude, um, <laughs> but that that type of thing um, that helps me just grow and and add on to my to my repertoire and increase my standard. Um, and so that that I feel like allows me to just pick up an excerpt after not touching it for a while if I were to take another audition and be able to work it up much quicker than than I would have been able to previously just because my standards are astronomically higher than they were years yeah. back. Uh, one of the things I'd be curious then to pick your brain about is I'm finding in my own playing as my standard goes up, as I get better, one of the things that becomes a requirement for me to maintain that is focus, being able to focus at that level. And so I'm kind of curious if you guys like, uh, have you struggled with focus in your in your career? If so, like basically how do we get better at focus is really the question I'm asking. I have my own thoughts, but I'm kind of curious to what you guys might want to throw in there because I find just to, to like to sort of like fully flesh this out that I actually think that that is the thing. Like if you could increase your focus, like that's going to be the thing that might help drive you into that next level of playing. And so I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, focus is huge. Um, for me, I I always just associate if we're we're talking about the context of auditions and and performing excerpts flawlessly as flawlessly as you can, um, you know, and as convincingly musically as possible uh, on a moment's notice. And for me to for me to get to that level i have to do a lot of listening and then i after i've done that listening and i kind of form my opinions on how i want to play something i associate like a word or two words with the excerpt that i'm trying to play um and that to me narrows my focus and so i'm not my brain's not trying to do a million things at once um i can just trust in my preparation and just think about one word or two words, whether whether those words are um, excitement and you know energy or, or whatever, yeah. Th- those types of that type of thinking to me gets me in the zone um, where I can just trust myself. I think it's a great answer. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I uh, to add to what Ryan's saying because a lot of what he said, I I try to do. I have struggled with focus my whole playing life uh, a lot more when I was younger, even still as an, as an adult. Um, I, for me, just like getting to the nuts and bolts of things, like not being relentless, um, like dotting every I, crossing every T, making sure that all the nuts and bolts are there, slow practice, really breaking everything down, even if I don't necessarily need to, in order to make sure that it feels like muscle memory to me. And the way that comes out in my head is it's close to that. And then I can start thinking about, you know, what Ryan was talking about, musical, you know, how, like, forming my own opinion and being a musician with it. But since my focus has been pretty bad, it's been probably one of the, the worst attributes of my, of my, you know, playing or musicianship. Um, doing that really helps me out a ton. Yeah, I would say just to 
just to sort of piggyback on what both of you just said, to me, the ability to focus and get better at focus is just knowing what to focus on, right? Yeah. Like if you don't, sometimes I think we go into a practice session assuming if I just play, everything will just work itself out. But I don't think that that's true. And I think actually that kind of feeling can lead to mindless, aimless practicing, which is what a lot of people will struggle with. And so, sorry, Kevin, I'm just going to, what I have a question that I'm asking is basically like I have my own and Brian, you, you mentioned it, but essentially we have these cues, what you're talking about, these words or whatever. But when you're building that, what is your metric for how you know you're on the right track versus like, I'm because we could think something and it could lead us to something that's not what we want, or we could think something and it could unlock our ability to play. And I think when you, when you find that cue, it's like, yes, but how does somebody who's struggling to find that cue, how do they like pick a word and know that it's taking them in the right direction? Go for it, Kevin. Yeah, I, for me, I don't think I, I did well in auditions until I figured out what worked for me. And everyone is different. Everyone has a different threshold for focus and what works for them. And like, I, I think my master's, I was just in like first year of my master's, I was like, I'm, I'm tired of this. Like my tape wasn't getting through. And if it, you know, if I did go take a cattle call, I just, it, I wasn't advancing, but I thought I was playing pretty well. And then I sort of like had a, I listened to the recordings of it and I, I talked with a bunch of teachers about it. And finally, some Denver Dill called me one time uh, that my tape didn't get through to West Point. I was like, "What's wrong with this? What's not? You know?" He was like, "It's just, you know, not the, the the. It's just not it's not clean. The nuts and bolts aren't you know aren't there." And and I sort of like had a, like an epiphany. I'm like, "I'm going to make this sound. What do I need to do to make this sound like? I don't know. Obviously, something unobtainable like the Phil Smith excerpt CD." And I I, I sort of sat down like, "What? I need to focus." And I need to have a plan for every single practice session. And I was at Aspen with Tom Hooten, and he was talking about a journal and a mantra and just calm down and meditating. And I was like, I need to calm down, have a plan and a game plan before I go into every practice session. And I do. I have Once I started organizing my life a little bit better that way, I think that's when it was like big time, way better. And it was like, there's no shortcuts. The shortcut is actually having to put in the work and do it the right way. Yeah. I just, I wasn't focused. Yeah, I mean, you'll find no argument for me about the value of organizing your practice. I'm Obviously, you guys know I'm pretty huge about that. Do you have anything to add to that, Ryan? I just think a lot of, a lot of um, knowing that, knowing if you're on the right track or not, it just kind of has to do with your, opinion of it right because we're it's it's all a subjective art form and so i think once you can if you can tap into your imagination and really try to just see like okay am i am i conveying this emotion as much as i think i am you know you maybe don't listen to your practice session for a couple days and then come back to it and see like because there there have definitely been times where I listen to a recording of myself and I'm and I'm just like, yeah. And there have been a lot of other times when probably a lot more times where I'm just like, uh, just a couple things, you know, it would have made it a lot better. But yeah, I think I think really getting into your imagination and you just you have to form you, you have to form your opinions on what you think it should sound like and and increase the standard of your imagination as well. Um, and then you just have to be your own judge about it. That's uh, I don't I don't know how else to determine how you can self evaluate 
if if you don't do those things. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think to continue to play devil's advocate, one of the problems with that is how do we know what's right? Right. And so how did how does a person who is growing and, and they're in the midst of growing, how do they know what's right? The, the, the answer is they have a teacher, right? And mm-hmm. the teacher is generally guiding them. Well, there's there's two problems with that, in my opinion. Number one is uh, like, one, when you leave the teacher, you're going to have to figure out how to do that on your own. Like you're talking about teaching yourself. Mm-hmm. And two, like, what if you're, what if when you're with the teacher, everything's right on track, but then like someday you like change your mind and you want to like, do something else. You know what I mean? What if you want to learn a different style? And so I'll throw it right back at you. I totally agree with you that you Mm -hmm. need the ability to assess and say, in my opinion, based on what I value, this is good or this isn't quite there, but how do we develop the knowledge of what we value, what we want to sound like? You know what I mean? Yeah, I I think it goes back to things that we've already touched on, which is putting yourself out there, getting lots of opinions, um, getting non-trumpet players' opinions, you know? Take it, like, if you're a student listening to this, take your excerpt recordings to the conductors of your groups. Take your excerpt recordings to, like, your friend who plays trombone or your friend who plays flute, you know? And because they they are not going to have the same answers that a trumpet player will give you about your excerpts. Um, and And I've gotten a lot of valuable feedback about that. Um, the other thing is just you have to educate yourself on the wealth of different recordings that are available on on each excerpt. I mean, there's there's no excuse now to not know <laughs> the the wide variety of ways that any particular excerpt is performed. Uh, MilitaryTrumpetJobs.com, TrumpetExcerpts.org, <laughs> uh, this little website called YouTube. Um, there's just there's just so much. There's so many different world class renditions of everything. It seems like, or at least that's the that's the goal of MTJ is to is to you know if there if there's not a a recording of something, we're trying to make one. Yeah. Before you hop in, Kevin, can I actually just continue the question? To, so when you're in school, one of the things I struggle with is. I got lots of opinions. There's teachers everywhere. There's there's students all around you. And so you're getting lots of opinions. And so now I'm curious for you because you described sort of struggling with being able to put your best foot forward and with focus and stuff like that. Well, one of the problems is like when you have all these opinions, like how do you choose which one, right? How do you choose like, well, this is the one that I like versus that to be able to say like, I've done my due diligence. I've got the opinions. I've done that. Now I have, this is the version I like. And now I'm going to like make sure I can present that one. Like, how do you, I mean, is it based on just like, I like this? Or do you have some sort of way of saying, well, you know, the musical phrasing does this. And so that's why I like this one. How do you determine like which which way you're going to come about to to feeling like you're presenting the best version of what you think is right for that excerpt? I let's, I let's think, like let's let's let Kevin roll. Sorry, oh, because okay. he was gonna he was gonna answer and I cut him off. So yeah, no, uh, no worries. Yeah, so I, um, you know, like for for me, like I, I had lots of different opinions, but I think once I sort of like you know jumping in the water, you know, jumping in the deep end, like taking festival auditions or or having recitals or getting out there and doing a little bit of freelance playing for people that I don't wouldn't normally play for. I think the reaction based on people who didn't know me and had just got that one snapshot of my playing and 
how successful that was. This works for me. This definitely does not work for me. Uh, you know, I remember like with, with when I first got to New York playing on such a, you know, being moved to such a big mouthpiece, I knew I had to dial it back. And I remember a festival audition kind of showing me that that was not the way. Um, but, you know, playing for, for big players in town just to get nervous and kind of figure out how I feel under pressure to emulate that. And I remember getting asked to sub on, on Broadway or play with orchestras in town and, and un, not even meaning to. So kind of getting yourself and putting yourself out there can help in more than one way. And it helped me tremendously because I made some great relationships and got some great advice and mentors in, you know, say New York City. And I also got to start playing around town. I didn't expect that to happen. Uh, this is going to come to you, Ryan, because I know that you not you, you described like not only are you a member of the band, but you in terms of just playing the normal stuff, but you also do some lead type stuff that you've done that as well. And that's obviously a completely not a completely separate way of doing things, but it clearly, in my opinion, playing lead specifically is its own skill set that you would work on. That you have to decide how do I want to sound. You know, there's Maynard, there's Wayne Bergeron, there's like. Roger Ingram, there's like such a wide wealth, just like there is in, in sort of orchestral or sort of more classical style playing. So this isn't, it's coming an interesting sort of comment. And I'm curious just to see where you take it. One of the things I've learned through like having clients to help people learn practice organization is that like I needed a chance to practice just giving the information and seeing how people took it. But because I felt that I needed to keep or I wanted to keep these clients, it's almost as if I felt this anxiety of either trying something new or being willing to sort of just go for it and see what happens. And what I, and like, it's an unfortunate reality. It's, and it's bouncing off of what Kevin just said, the unfortunate reality that sometimes we have to sacrifice what could be a cool opportunity so that we can go for it and learn, right? Like the point of it then should be learning. Okay, like I'm going to try to sound like Roger Ingram. That didn't work for me. So I maybe didn't sound as good at that concert as I could have because I tried something that I ultimately found didn't work. Like, do you agree with this kind of like thought process, Ryan? Do you think that in the beginning of learning something, we're going to have to sacrifice or be willing to sacrifice some of the experiences or some of what could happen so we can kind of learn what does and doesn't work? Or do you think there's a way to get to that what does and doesn't work without messing up, basically? There, no, there's definitely not <laughs> a way to get to where to your final form without messing up. Um, I think, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I personally would not try to change my mouthpiece or my sound concept right before a concert or something like that. I, I think that's just unwise. And I think it's setting yourself up for failure, but there is a time and a place to experiment with that. And I think ultimately, it's just, it's up to the the individual musician to, to be whatever they want to be, you know? Um I so we'll take we'll take lead trumpet playing for example. So I started like after I I told you that I was very inspired by hearing the Incredibles and stuff. That that sound really stuck in my head. And so I was playing a lot in like church groups and stuff as a kid. Um, and there's in in Baptist church, especially in the Bible Belt, like Southern Baptist type of thing. That type of church music is very commercial oriented and contemporary. And so I got a lot of um a lot of performance opportunities to to play things that I couldn't play at the time. 
like I would get like they would put music in front of me and it would have like a high D or a high F in it or some technical lick that was all above the sab and I just couldn't play it. But the more the more I did it, the the more I just tried and tried and tried, I eventually got it and then it became a usable skill for myself. And I always tell people like you'll never be able to slam a high G if you haven't missed a ton of them. You know, it's just it's just not going to happen. You have to you have to have the experience and figure out what works for you. And I think sort of to clarify, that's a great answer and I think to clarify my my question a little bit or at least my thought was it's essentially I felt I felt so attached to controlling a particular outcome that I I felt like I couldn't I I was trying to like figure out how can I how can I speak in such a way that I can control how this person feels about what I'm saying that they'll want this thing right this is a big thing in sales you know you're like I want to control it and I would say the same thing for audition you're a salesman you go in there and you got to mm-hmm. play and you just got to do your thing and too many of us every single person who's ever taken an audition has at some point played for the committee mm-hmm. to try to get them to like them versus just playing what you know is the right way to do it or the way that you have come to prepare yeah so I definitely do not really care who I'm playing for. And I know that may sound, uh, that may be an unpopular opinion, but as I, I, think, I think I'm going to be my best and feel the best about my own performance if, you know, if I'm playing true to myself. And so I don't, I don't want somebody to hire me because I played how I thought they wanted me to play. I want them to hire me because they like me. You know, I want to go out of, I want to come out of the room saying, if they don't like that, then they don't like me. Um, yeah. That, that to me, it's just a very, it's a very positive, very powerful way to build confidence and trust in yourself. Do you have anything to add, Kevin? What's, what's your experience been in trying to get better at this? Uh, I totally agree with Brian. I think um, also a turning point for me, I started, I, for a long time, I would make, perpetual runner-up or in the finals with a no-hire many, many, many times in a row. And I was getting real frustrated. And the comments I was getting back was, sounds just kind of bland, like you're not really going for it. And and I realized that I was trying to play like a certain way and very like clean and like, how would they like this? And instead of just one day, I think I just said, F it. I'm going to, I'm going to play like me. I'm going to have fun and I'm going to enjoy it. And then I ended up winning another audition. It was uh, like a real experience for me. It's just so much easier to unlock all the non-musical, or sorry, the extra, the extra musical facets of an audition. I'm talking about not not the trumpet stuff. It's it's so much easier for everything else. Those feelings that you were talking about, Ryan, uh, like making people feel certain, like the the way that you want them to feel. They're not they're not thinking about. Um, you know, they're not thinking about the trumpet at that point, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that, I think, is a nice segue. What you just what you just spoke about there is going to be a nice segue into talking about auditions in general, um, but more specifically, making tapes. Uh, it's something you guys have a lot of experience with. Uh, Some of the military bands will do a lot of their, um, their auditions. They'll have a taped round where people will make, you know, from my understanding, between like three and six excerpts, four and six excerpts, somewhere in there. 
that will demonstrate various facets of people's playing, and that will sort of be the initial barrier um, to making sure, which I think is a good thing, to be honest, because it keeps people from buying a plane ticket and doing a whole bunch of stuff if they aren't really going to have a, I don't want to say have a chance, but you get the sense if they're not ready for for that kind of um, commitment or that kind of thing or that kind of job. So um, when when I we were speaking on uh, Facebook Messenger and I asked if they had any ideas for content. They asked if I had any done anything about recording. And so this is how this whole entire collaboration kind of came about. Beyond me wanting to just get to know them, we wanted to try to produce something that would help people know what to expect when making tapes, how to make a better tape, what some of, and most mostly what we're going to talk about here is the, some common pitfalls that they hear from tape to tape and that we just thought we just try to address that so people know a little bit better about what is being looked for and what kind and how your tape might be perceived on the other side because you may think this is a good tape but when somebody else hears it they don't know what you went through to make that tape they don't know if that's as good you know barbara used to say they're going to assume that's the very best you can do they're not going to assume that's 85% of what you're capable of so and and trying to just just provide a resource. So that's enough of me talking. There's four different of these um, uh, these sort of categories. One is a trumpet-related issues. One is musical issues. One is an audio issue. And then one, are, uh, one category is professional issues. So starting with trumpet-related, Ryan, we'll let you go first. Uh, one of the things you mentioned to me, a pitfall, is just that when when you when you get the the audio, you listen to it, and the trumpet sound itself just lacks some depth or lacks some resonance. Can you kind of expand upon what you what you mean when you hear something like that? Sure, sure. I'm talking about. I'm not. I'm not talking about audio engineering things. I'm not talking about the mix, the levels, anything like that. I'm talking about um, what I perceive the candidates. Uh, sound concept and tone production to be like what what when i have to determine what level they're at that's that's what i'm referring to so um if if i hear you know articulation or uh, sorry a sound that it sounds brittle or uh like it has a quiver in it um if if the sound just isn't very strong if it's not exciting um if there are like scoops or burrs um, at the front of a note or at the end, um, I've 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 heard it all and I've done it all at some point, <laughs> which is how I know about this. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm referring to when I'm talking about the the depth and resonance. I'm looking for a you know a, a sparkle in the sound that that little extra zing that you hear in the room whenever like that's that's how you know if a sound is resonant or not um and then to lump that in with articulation as well um you know that's a part of your sound concept is your articulation because that is that is the the beginning and the end of of every sound that you produce yeah um so yeah Oh, and that was the next one that was on the list. And maybe Kevin, if you want to ex- talk about this one, it's just unclear or incorrect articulation. When I, when I was trying to record this, I was trying to be like, I kind of know what you mean when you say incorrect or unclear articulation. I kind of know you're. It's this like like you're saying there's burrs or some articulations, but I have worked so hard to eliminate that from my playing that I like couldn't actually play with unclear articulation. So I chose to interpret it as just the wrong style. Like you're playing those types like that. So uh, I'm just curious, Kevin, if you kind of want to try to summarize what what you have heard on tapes that are sort of unclear or incorrect articulation. Yeah, I mean, there's 
there, you know, so if it says Seco and there's staccato on there, say eyes for, for you know, if you go da 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 da, and you play it sort of lyrically, or if it's you're not faced the 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 correct way, or if you you know, say basically if you're like faced to the side, and the microphone is in front of you on the other other side, so you're the side of it, and it's not as clear. Just using your best judgment. There's there's so many different factors to that. Really doing your due di diligence and and kind of. Um, you know, doing your research on, on what, what it's supposed to sound like, kind of portraying that. So if there's a hundred tapes, you know, we do get a hundred plus tapes for, you know, one spot and we have to go through all of them. And, you know, it's a good player, but the articulation is not, not correct. We can't hire based on perceived talent. We have to, you know, that's, we're listening to a bunch of people and, and, you know, there are going to be people that do their due diligence and that they have the full package. It's a wonderful performance that well thought out. So like Ryan was saying, it's, you know, you have to have like your best foot forward. Is this your best possible recording? Um, is this the best version of you? So really putting a lot of thought in before you record and kind of listening to yourself and adding that time in for when you're recording and listening back and like, okay, that's not the defined articulation that I want and going back and having to redo it again. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say um, another another way that articulation can be incorrect in my mind is if like say say on festival variations, like if you're just put if you're just slurring and tonguing in all of the wrong places, um, then it's just like what what are you doing? Like have you have you heard this? <laughs> like if you go you know, it's just all wrong. Yeah, um, yeah, that that would be a way. You know, I've heard that before. Believe it or not, yeah. maybe maybe not that extreme of an example, but you know, tonguing where you should be slurring and slurring where you should be tonguing. Yeah, just doing. I mean, Charlie Geyer talks a lot about that. Just this that due diligence of to the best of your ability, the articulations on the page is the articulation you're presenting. Um, let's do, uh, let's do, I mean, this one's pretty obvious. So I'd like you, like, I will throw it back to you, Kevin. I'd like to sort of answer it from like a perceived, like how you perceive it is, is poor intonation. We all know intonation is important, but how does it come across when someone has poor intonation? Cause we can, we all listen to our own recordings and we're sometimes strict about intonation. And sometimes we're like, well, the trumpet has sharp notes and flat notes. It's like, whatever. But I'm curious, like for, how is it perceived when someone has poor intonation? It's jarring, um, and I have I have been um, I have sent tapes in like my you know early very early outdoor overture recordings which will never surface and see the light of day ever, but they I I have done that you know where my octaves weren't you know and you think you're doing everything and then you know that's why recording yourself consistently not just for an audition just my advice to everyone listening just record yourself all the time get learn how to record yourself and and so when you're doing this it's not just that that small i know this is a little off topic it's not just that three weeks before the recording or a week I, hopefully you're not doing it a week before so you know like recording yourself a lot more than just for a tape but you know when you're listening to 100 tapes and someone you know octaves or certain intervals that are you know repetitive are are just not in the pocket you know you're it's jarring for us and it's 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 pretty telling it's, so, it's a liability when you go to sit, you know, would I want this person to sit next to me? And how easy will this be? It's, it's easy to just really not advance someone that way. Yeah, I would also say a, a very practical way to make sure that you 
are not having all these intonation problems is one, to be in tune with yourself, right? Um, but two, like the, the really practical way is to develop an understanding of just intonation um, and, how, and how all these intervals are related to each other. Um, obviously, the octave is going to be very obvious um, because that that doesn't really matter as far as just intonation. It, you know, it 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 has to be double the double the hertz, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what. But within that, um, if you like, if if you don't know that th- thirds in a major chord need to be lowered, uh, if you don't know that third or you know, thirds in a minor yeah. in a minor key need to be raised. Um, there, there's just a lot of little things like that, um, that, that also jump out. And those are, those are just things that separate people who win jobs from people who don't. Yeah. And I think at least my take on that is, you know, we can go slightly overboard with the manipulations we make. So even to my, my opinion, just having that information can Mm -hmm. make the difference. Like you're, oh, and then doing enough of a cursory harmonic analysis that you know that this is the third, that this is the fifth or, or whatever. I think that can sort of shore up a lot of whatever that would be. Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure how to demonstrate this one in the video. Technical mistakes. I mean, it, we're just, just this is just like things like wrong notes and leaving them in the recording, I'm assuming, right? Or are there other interpretations? Yeah, and cracks. Um you know, just slurs that aren't clean. Like when you get a when you get a partial in between a slur that's really obvious. I mean, there, we're not going to cut you for one of those. But if it's a pattern, then we'll be like, you know, that that person doesn't understand how to how to slur and get that little that little click where the slur is just instantaneous. Um, yeah. and we can't we can't play with that. Yeah. Also, if you're going to send some of the heroes in and you have two months to do it, and you crack a note, I'd like, uh, it makes me think, is this the person's best foot forward with it? And I don't normally, like, I'm, I'm going to say, like, if you go to a live audition, you crack notes, that happens, that's fine, big picture. But if it, it makes me question judgment. If, if you have two months to make a Summon the Heroes, and it's not your best version, so we assume that this is going to be your best possible foot forward. This is the best version of you on a recording. So if you send in a summoning heroes that has like a crack or two, but you sound really good, like I said, we can't hire based on perceived talent, and it's really disappointing to to you know yeah. to hear that. I mean, I think it, at best it comes across as rushed, not time wise rushed, but or like you know I, I slapped this together at the last second, uh, well, and this was or- the best I could do. And do do we want to do we want to hire somebody who clearly didn't think well enough about our thing to not put in the time to make it a really professional product or is someone struggling and they just have issues like i mean i'll have a register like we don't know so that's yep. yeah. with 100 plus tapes that's Full you know disclosure we've all sent in, the, in that tape right we've all absolutely sent in the tape that was rushed at the very last second so it's not it's not as if we're saying that we have never done that or we've never made that mistake it's just right. like don't be surprised if that doesn't work out for you. <laughs> yeah, definitely well, not working if, for me. If it is rushed, rushed yeah, you know, just, just don't, don't don't make it obvious. I'm yeah. sure there are, there are people who have rushed tapes that I've thought sounded really good, sure. and it's just because they were good. You know. 
Well, and and we, I, I'd like to save this this part of the discussion for the end, but I think this applies to just a live audition as well. But the idea that you know, one mistake is not going to ruin anything, but a particular mistake, let's say you play something out of tune or whatever, well, well now everyone's listening for, will they do that again? And if they do it again, it becomes a pattern. That's the kind of stuff that will get you out more than just a singular mistake here and there. We all make those. And if we're trying to do our due diligence with a tape and, you know, if it's required to do the whole thing in one shot, you know, Barbara would always say they know the difference between a great player who made a mistake and you know, uh, a, a player who's got issues who maybe just got like lucky. You know, I mean, there's a difference between that. You can hear the difference between in the way it's presented. We're actually about to get to that section. Yeah, you explained that way better than I did. That's a great point. That's a great, great point. You explained that way better than than I did. <laughs> so on that, in that same exact vein, we'll move on to the musical aspects. These are the types of things that a great player will have regardless of whatever trumpet, particular trumpet issues and we, when we say great player, we just mean, or at least I just mean, someone who is familiar with what's going on, with the excerpts, with the music. It's not saying a great player can't can't play boring or something like that, but um, hopefully that makes sense. I use the word great player. It just means somebody, it doesn't mean great, good, whatever. It's not a comparative statement. It's just someone who just is able to demonstrate they know. So the first mm-hmm. one is we actually combined a few of them into just boring. Like this is probably going to be the most sort of obvious one. When you listen to it, you just feel nothing on the inside. Is there more to it than that? Or is that really just what we're, what we're talking about? When you're playing for a panel, you want to convince them that you know the context of the excerpt that you're playing. Um, and so like for me, like one, one example I can think of right off the top of my head is um, on Outdoor Overture, you know, some people might listen to that and just like just be like, you know, there's there's not much going on here. But for me, when I'm preparing it and when I'm getting ready to play it, I'm thinking of bum ba-da-dum beam ba-da-dum bum 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 bum. And and then that that puts me in a place where I can just go and just really sing and be um, you know, kind of light with it. And knowing that context, I feel like I feel like that comes across when you hear somebody play that and they know that. Yeah. Anything to add, Kevin, or does that feel good? Yeah, he, he's out. That's all good. <laughs> all right. Well, you can have the next one, which is vertical approach. When I tried to interpret this with the with the eyes on the on the video, I just tried to play as note to note as I possibly could, <laughs> with no like sense of this is headed here, no forward motion. So I tried to play it. And like I tried to play it super clean, it just didn't go anywhere or do anything. That's how I interpreted that. Is there more to it for you? Uh, that's that speaks to me because I I have I have done that. I was like, I'm going to be clean. I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to make this, this, and then it's not worked out well for me at all. So uh, that that kind of resonated with me. I was like, ah, I've been there, done that. Yeah, we all have. So the idea is is that. Um, I mean, it's it's the definition of technical excellence with without musical intent, which I think is actually quite difficult to do. And, yeah, how, yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, separating yourself from from other people, and you know, like, say if you're you're in the semifinals and you're with like four other players that can all play technically very proficient, or if you're you know we whittled the recordings down to twenty people from a hundred, and like these are really good, like all the nuts and bolts and. Your recording is very good, but it's just very vertical. It doesn't really speak 
you know, to the, the same way someone else's wonderful performance of it. You know, it's it's just an extra tick mark off you. Yeah, and I think it it very much goes into the previous point of just not having the musical context. If you know where the what's happening, where the line is going, I think it's it's much easier to at least imply whether you're the most musical or not. Having some sort of demonstration, you know that the line is headed somewhere is is pretty essential. Yeah, I think uh, the way I interpret it, vertical approach as opposed to horizontal. I mean, nobody says like, "Oh, you have such a horizontal approach," <laughs> but what they say is. Um, you know, it just comes across as your your playing flows t- together very cohesively in a way that makes sense, yeah. and and shows that you know what is going on. And when somebody is not doing that, I think the short answer is their their approach is vertical. Yeah. So almost as if it's just like if it's easy and it feels comfortable, it's sort yeah. of this. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right, this next one, questionable musical choices. (laughs) For me, I was just like, you're just going to be inferring something that's not there for some reason. I I chose to play uh, the Ives excerpt with some rubato, and you were saying that this this very much ties into that rhythm and time are of the utmost importance. And if you just, that's that seems to be where questionable musical choices come in beyond maybe dynamics or wrong articulations. You're just doing stuff to time that has no business being done. Yeah, if you have, if you're doing things that are very unique in a, in a well-known excerpt, that's usually not a good idea because there's a way to do it. There, there are, there, there is a, a pretty small window of of ways to perform outdoor overture that are acceptable and you know will advance at an audition. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, and and I would you know it, it just it goes back to not knowing the piece, like not yeah. knowing that there's not a lot of rubato on outdoor overture. It's 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 loose, but it's in time. Um, yeah. Even even with the quarter note triplets. You don't want to jazz it up by going dee da da do do, you know. It needs to be da 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 da. And you, there's a way to do that in a way that is beautiful and flowing and not vertical while also being in time. Yeah. In the in the age of information, you have access to like man, so many great players on YouTube, the internet. Like you know, you can hear. Brian Beach playing like a Bichet Tude or a Charlie, you know, Jim Wild. You can hear Hokan Hardenberger doing it, and you know, like there's everyone has a different sort of voice, but the, you know, there's a set way you kind of to to mm-hmm. approach it, especially for an audition. You don't want to make a, a panel seasick by like, you know, talking to William Shatner. Oh, there is the oh, there where is that right now? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. No, William oh, Shatner. One, one more thing that I thought about um, in terms of questionable musical choices, it can it can be something as simple as vibrato. Um, like and that's been an issue for me. Like in the past, Guilty. there there definitely been a lot of times where I either way overdid it or I did my vibrato in a just a weird way that people don't do. Um, and usually, it, it's vibrato being too wide and too slow. Mm-hmm. I I I tend to think that vibrato that I like to hear in most excerpts there's always exceptions um very varying styles of music and stuff with vibrato but you know if you can make it a little tighter uh tighter and faster then that's that's usually the way to go and less is more 
a lot of I times. I still struggle with this today. And Ryan always points that out to me. You know, like there should be a, a GIF or a meme, like what I think I'm doing and what I'm actually doing. And it's like <laughs> recording myself and then listening back. I was like, oh my gosh, why am I even doing that much vibrato? That's, I can, I could like jump through that like a jump rope. You yeah, know, it's yeah. so wide. So no. anyway, that that's just that's that that to me would be a questionable musical choice because at best you're choosing to do that and choosing to sound weird, and at worst you don't know, yeah. um, and you know, sure that's, that's a problem. No, it makes sense. I mean, we've all. I mean, I remember making this is for orchestral rounds, but it's still the same exact thing. I would send people tapes of things like you know, um, Parsifal and Brahms Academic Festival Overture, like rotary excerpts. Mm -hmm. And there would be like, I have sort of this just shimmer that exists in my sound. And then they'd be like, well, you should try to, you know, play it like a clarinet or a horn who don't use vibrato. And then I tried it and I was like, how does anybody use, how does anybody play music without using vibrato? That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> like it just was, I didn't even, I, I hadn't even considered that you could shape lines without spin in the sound. Um, and so even, even going that extreme, like understanding that vibrato is a tool we use, it is not the thing that makes it musical, right? It's a, it, but it's an yeah. addition that we use in certain scenarios. So it's not off or on, but when appropriate, you use the right kind and the right amount. Kind of what you're saying, just understanding that it's not what makes it musical, but it's a thing that can add a little bit of spice. Mm -hmm. Sorry, for this little bit of a rant. So for this next section, this audio section, um, what I would like to do is just kind of quickly go through how I tried to demonstrate each of these things. And then instead of sort of, because we kind of all understand to some degree what this is going to look like. What, uh, I mean, I think you could clarify some of the distracting noises and, ex and, and, and experiences you've had with that. But I would actually like it if you guys would provide almost if you have recommendations for these types of things to, to do it. So we have things like room choice, where you don't want to be in a cathedral and you don't want to be in the driest room you can possibly find. You want, Barbara would always say, the room is an instrument. Like you want to use the room and it should be beautiful, but like you should be able to hear you within that space as well. And of course, mic placement, we're about to get to that, will play into that. But Kevin, do you have something? Yeah, I mean, not every. See, this this is why I recorded auditions, and Ryan had I had a discussion about this. Sometimes it's not the most fair aspect. Um, not everyone has access to the same equipment or the same space. But when we listen to a play, good playing is good playing, and I I agree that you know it needs it needs to be the best version of you and a good sound and a good space. But sometimes if you're in in like a studio apartment in New York City and you, you, you know, it's the middle of a pandemic, you don't have access to go anywhere and you, you kind of have to make the best with, with what you have. Um, but yeah, go not going into the like the biggest cathedral and being far away just to, you know, we can't, can't really hear the definition. You know, we're kind of questioning, like, I think he did that. I, like, I don't, or he or she, I, I don't know exactly what, what I'm listening, what I'm hearing, but it sounds muddled and I don't, I don't feel comfortable with it. trying to make a panel feel as comfortable as possible. Well, and that goes into the very next one too, with which you guys wrote was mic choice and, and mic placement and stuff. So I have a story. I was just telling this to my wife last night. Uh, I auditioned, I sent in a tape for the Seattle Symphony, maybe his third trumpet audition back when I was in grad school. And I went to this very, like, it was a small, but very live, like, chapel. <laughs> 
And I put the recorder in the corner of one side and I stood on the other side. And so it was exactly what you just described. There's no clarity in my playing whatsoever. And then I set in my tape and then I started looking up like how much houses were in Seattle. You know what I'm saying? Like, I thought I had no concept that like that was like, even if I played incredibly well, that tape would never be accepted, you know? And it's because like they have no idea who who actually made that tape, right? So it's a, it's a combination. We, you want a great room with an understanding that if you put the mic too far away, you get no clarity in your playing. And and if it's too close, you get lots of clarity, but it's gross and it sounds too much like this, the raw trumpet. So this is kind of, and then adding in the very next one, which is adding too much reverb, right? That's can That can be, no one's going to take away reverb most likely. So adding too much. Um, so what are your recommendations for these types of things? Like, let's say an optimal situation. What to you is an optimal room to record in? Where is a great place to put the microphone? How high up? Should it be on the floor? Should it be up, you know, at your bell level? Like just some general recommendations for people. Sure, I'll take this one. Um, first of all, houses in Seattle are very expensive. Um, <laughs> I had no chance. It's just yeah. the level of uh, ignorance, I suppose, is why uh, I've I shared that. that, that I've I totally done that. <laughs> when I was buying my house a couple of years ago and then I went on tour, um, I was just like, I was on Zillow everywhere I would go just because I was curious. Um, yeah. And yeah, just going down through the streets of suburban Seattle, it was just like, oh my gosh, everything is double what, what I would expect. Um, anyway, so <laughs> I think it. The first thing that students or you know people who are listening to this need to understand is there are different types of microphones that are useful for different types of recording. There's dynamic um, so microphones, condenser there's microphones. Those are all are like, like you'll you'll get a lot more I'm room sound about. in those. Um, and so for for those types of microphones. You know, you you want them to be a little farther away, but you don't want to have um, you don't want to have too live of a room. Yeah. I, I think I think a drier room is is better because um, you can always change it after the fact if you have some kind of digital audio workstation. But yeah, I would prefer a a medium a medium type of hall. Um, you know, if you're if you're at a college or university. Um, you could go into a recital hall or anything like that. It would probably be fine. And what I would do is I would have, like, I have a I have a Tascam that I used um, for. It's a Tascam DR40 linear PCM recorder. And so this is a condenser microphone, um, and it was it was pretty cheap. I got it like six seven years ago, um, kind of at the beginning of grad school. And I would I would place this like elevated about six feet in the air and maybe 10 feet away from me. Um, and then, you know, you can you can have it slightly offset. You don't have to face directly at it. But that generally produced reasonably good results yeah. um, with, with that type of microphone. Now, um, now that I know a little bit more about them, um, I, I use ribbon microphones uh, to record trumpet because they are... They're not very well. They're not very durable, but they can take a lot of sound in in a particular direction because um, they have a, a figure eight pattern. Anyway, you can. The point is, if you're in a home studio um, or 
in a recording studio, like you're probably going to want to use a ribbon microphone because you're in a close quarters and trumpet is a bell front, very loud instrument capable of producing up to like, I don't know, 130 dB or something like that, maybe more, more or less, depending on what you're comfortable with. But ribbon microphones can handle that. Yeah, I was thinking especially, I mean, that's that that lines up pretty well with what I remember um, from just like the classes. We would have classes at Northwestern about this where we would just talk about what, it, you know, so we like got a little bit of education with that. But yeah, essentially like 10 feet away from you, sort of in front of you, about 30 to 45 degrees off to the right. 30 is probably better, but 45 can work. But also up off the ground, trying mm -hmm. to get it, like you're saying, you know, six feet off the ground or something like that. Maybe, you know, it, it's just, it seems to be a, a general spot to start with recording if you're in a bigger room. Like in a room like my room, I use a ribbon mic and I try to get the, get it, it's like maybe like three feet from my bell, but yep. it makes it drier so I can add reverb. And it's uh, like adding reverb then is more consistent because it's just my trumpet sound. Yeah, ribbon microphones are great for picking up individual instruments at close range. Yeah. Um, and so that's what makes them ideal for not only like, you know, studio work basically and for recording trumpet specifically. Um, what was what was the other question? That was it. Or did that cover it? Yeah, that okay. covered it. Uh, yeah, all that makes sense. Um, it's just sort of moving on to the, the very final one here, which would just be the distracting noises. Now, some of these seem pretty absurd to me, but I'm sure you guys have stories of all of these different things. So we we talked about, you know, uh, people who might clear their throat and then they start and they don't cut that out or people who identify themselves. And um, obviously this one, you know, restarting an excerpt is obviously something that is, I would imagine is pretty common. And then you even said like people, I guess, have, have sworn on their, on their tapes before. So I'm just kind of curious, like if you, you don't have to, go into any depth, but just the idea of how this is perceived when it ends up being on a tape. Like, what does that do to the state of mind you're in when listening? I think for me, it just it just makes me take the candidate less seriously. One. Um, that, so that's, that's the first thing. Um, but the other thing is, it's so easy with a base level education of, of any kind of editing software to remove that stuff. Um, and I know it's like, it's asking people right. to learn more things than what we're asking them to do, which is play the trumpet. But come on, you know, you don't, you don't need to, we like, we don't need to hear you coughing or whatever. And editing definitely not. Definitely not a not a excerpt restart. That's so easy to just trim off. So you're not listening to it. You're not sending it to other people to listen to. It's it's like a due diligence when when Audacity is free, GarageBand is free, like Reaper is all these all these really really easy programs that have been around for a very long time are 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 very easy to use. And you could it, it's yeah. It just it makes me question the. Um, yeah, the, the the person who's who's doing it, like what what level of professionalism is or the lack thereof. Well, and before we get into that professionalism questions or that 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 category, I do think it's worth saying that an understanding of how to edit yourself in a software is a useful skill all around, not just for you know what I mean to be able to record yourself and possibly put something together. Like it's 
YouTube is a fascinating place where it's not hard to learn those types of skills. I mean, I, I learned a lot more than just how to edit myself and I've been able to record and create things. You guys obviously are, you've created a whole, uh, the platform around that kind of skill and how you're utilizing it to help other people. So it's a useful skill in general, one that we shouldn't overlook just because it's slightly outside of this one thing we would do. So, and again, sorry, just that was a little side thing, but this final part of it, Kevin was mentioning about uh, professionalism and that was one of the categories you guys gave. And this is one thing I was interested just to hear right from right from you guys because I didn't know how I would demonstrate any of these things in a video, right? So it would just be easiest if we, you wrote three things here. Quality control checks by multiple professionals. That's something Kevin just mentioned. Follow audition instructions, play exactly what's requested and then submit on time. So again, I would like to take this angle. I mean, you can give ex like stories and examples, but I'd like to take this from the perspective of how is it perceived when these things are not taken care of like and like you said you don't take the candidate quite as seriously just that kind of idea like are people shooting themselves in the foot before anything is ever heard you know what i'm saying it, and and how how easy is that to take care of so i'll let whoever take it yeah i think i think it is people shooting themselves in the foot it's i mean all of all, all of the military band audition instructions that I've ever seen have been incredibly clear. And I think that candidates should know that going into that, um, it, like every every section, every trumpet section like gets together at least, I, I would say at least five or six people within the section, if not the whole section. They they create this list. Um, and, and a lot of People have had their hands on the specific wording and where to cut. There's a lot that goes into preparing a list. And so when, when you take all that time to prepare a very clear, very, um, you know, as, just as clear as possible list, and then people don't do what you're asking for, then it's like, well, I don't know if, I don't know if this person would be right for the military or you know, or, or, you know, it's just, it's just very basic, very basic uh, professional standards. Sure. You know, I, we, we have advanced someone who has, has put false starts in, but I mean, someone who has said, my name is before every single clip, probably not. Although, I mean, good trumpet playing is good trumpet playing. You know, it's, it's, it, we're, we're, we're listening for a bigger picture, but it's just not going to help you. Yeah, ident identifying yourself—that's basically just maintaining the integrity of um, anonymity within the audition. So that has obviously nothing to do with trumpet playing, but it can it can mess with the audition process in and of itself. But for example, just not playing the right excerpt or pl pl like, especially if you don't play enough of it. Um, if you start an excerpt in the middle, I, I can't, what, Kevin, what would be an example of like an excerpt that you've heard cut off before? You're okay. So if you're playing say British eighth and you stop at, you know, you do the basic opening excerpt, but the hard part is, bump, da, 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 you know, but you play the opening part and it's great, but you stop it there. And I'm like, is, is he, are they hiding, hiding a problem? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, like, can, can like a bunch of F's on the top of the staff, that's really telling, but it's obviously, not the main excerpt, and maybe we haven't asked for the whole excerpt before, but I don't know. But so basically, something like that has hasn't helped someone. It it won't. I mean, usually it hurts. 
sometimes if the opening part is so good and which okay it's a check mark for us but it it doesn't help you know so the the simplest way i can put it is don't give the panel any reason to question what you're doing yes Don't, don't don't give them any kind of ammunition to cut you if you do exactly what we ask and do it really well you're gonna pass no problem you're gonna advance yeah, and it's, there's a hundred and some odd tapes and, and, you know, like we have like 40 of them that are, are really solid and they're doing everything that we've asked. It's going to be pretty hard to advance you when you haven't. No, when there are I mean, other candidates sense. that are more it's, deserving. I mean, I, I personally have struggled with this my entire life, submitting things on time, <laughs> making sure I read the rules. So I'm no one to judge. But Likewise, again, but, yeah. And so so of all of us. It's yeah. part of learning how to be a professional. Sure. But like you're based yeah, it's essentially kind of what you said a while back in the interview which is like how like what is somebody going to think about what it's like to work with that person, you know? I mean, it, and I and especially in a place like the military where I'm sure it's yeah. a, it's pretty rigid in like making sure you're following all the 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 conduct and the code of, and all that kind of stuff as opposed to like an orchestra where things might be a little bit more lax. So I just I really appreciate you guys taking the time to really try to share this information because I I believe it's important and I believe the more information that's out there like this everybody benefits from it and better tapes get sent in and you get better candidates and you know what I'm saying like I think it benefits everybody all around to have this information and to be able to to benefit from it. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for having us. I, I think it's a this this is probably like one of the more useful things that that we have collaborated on, Brian and I. Um, yeah, th- thank you so much for having us. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. This is this is the podcast for musicians, <laughs> in my uh, opinion. Well, before we before we finish up, I just wanted to I wanted to dive a little bit more into. Uh, the MTJ, just the the platform, and like, how did this get started? Whose idea was it? How like, were there any hiccups when trying to get it off the ground? What was your original vision? How has the vision changed? Uh, just any and all questions kind of related to that. I'm really curious because I mean, it makes sense to me, but because it makes so much sense to me, it's surprising that it didn't exist before the time that you guys started putting out content like this. You know what I mean? So about. Five or six years ago, gosh, Ryan, it's five, six years ago, I had my old teacher at Manhattan School of Music reach out to me. This is how it all started. And he's like, I have this student who's, you know, like a senior. I, I knew this student who was a really good player, um, who's actually advanced in many of our auditions. And, he, and Tom Smith, my teacher, old teacher, was like, you know, so he, he said that he's, he went to a Marine recruiting office and the recruiter told him if he enlisted, like now, and join, he would have um, his choice of any band, including President's Own. I was like, oh my gosh, please tell me that he did not sign on the dotted line. <laughs> and, and I was like, that is that is just uh, just not accurate. And I was like, if he, he, he won't, that basically, you know, because you have to audition for President's Own or another premier band, it's like a different process. Um, once you went, then you talk to a recruiter, sometimes in, if you go to MEPS first, that's different, but when we are inviting candidates. so. Tom told me, no, he's going tomorrow. And I was like, okay, stop. And Tom was like, is there any resources or access, any materials? And so he uh, invited 
me and a trumpet ensemble, we call the Army Trumpet Ensemble, a per- person from each premier Army band to, you know, do uh, a recital and master class, pretty much, talk about military bands. And so the word spread, and we ended up doing several of the conservatories and universities in the New York area. Um, and basically, we were myth-busting. There was so much misinformation out there, and not nowhere where this was, you know, you, you couldn't find any information online for it. There's, you know, orchestral, you know, or auditions or jobs. It's, there's so much easy access on there. And so I talked to Ryan. We were two roommates, and he's my best bud, and we were in the field band. We decided to start this. Um, and it started out with just kind of getting out there to schools and just talking about what we do. And then we made a website, and it was very difficult to get off the, you know, get going. I'm not going to get into that. Um, but once we were able to get all the permissions and, and all of our colleagues on board, and we had to do it again when we went to the Army Band, you know, it's, it's, we've turned it into a, a bigger resource, and we decided to make play-alongs, and um, we started arranging duets. We teamed up with Davey DeArmond and Matt Harriman of the Naval Academy Band. They're our partners in crime on this. And um, we created a military band excerpt duet book. And, you know, during the pandemic, I started reaching out to some heroes of mine um, and other premier band uh, colleagues like Principal of the Navy Band, Chris Sala, Forrest Sontag, Principal in the Air Force Band, and our other colleagues in the Army Band. Um, and we started putting it together. And everyone was saying yes, which we were eternally grateful for. So now there's a good, I guess, so the duet, basically, there's the excerpt and the accompaniment. So the person who create, you know, say, We'll use uh, Billy Hunter recorded um, a or you know like a, an excerpt, and Chris Sala played the accompaniment. So you can play it with the mil- the accompaniment part. You can play the or excerpt with the person playing the accompaniment part, which is the military band guy. And you can hear, say, Billy Hunter, Principal Lamet, sounding amazing on this excerpt. So there's two two sides of it. And now we're getting into where we're super stoked to collaborate with you and a couple of your other um, peers and other orchestras. Um, where we create marches in the same category, basically the excerpt, the second trumpet part, and the accompaniment. And we take out, you know, you playing the excerpts, and you can play along with the second trumpet part and the accompaniment. So you have a good representation, a good am- example of performance, and then you have a good resource that you can play along with. Sorry, that was too much. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, it, 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 creates, it creates an easy way to, to have like a healthy practice session basically and and you're practicing in a way that you weren't able to before because nobody put together all of this for you until now um, <laughs> but yeah like, so we're we're doing we're doing all the work for you just play along with it yeah it's have almost fun. like that music minus one thing where you'd have the whole orchestra yep minus whatever but for military band excerpts which is i mean they're just such amazing jobs and it's like you know I, it's just like such an amazing opportunity that I think sometimes like someone like me, where I was so like, I got to win an orchestra job that I just like put it over there. You know what I mean? And it was like, no, nah, mm-hmm. like that's cool. Some people do that, but like I got to do the orchestra thing as if it's this like completely separate, like I don't want to say less yeah. than thing, but in my mind, it's like the orchestra is first, but it's clear through like hearing all these recordings of all these things that in some ways playing in a military band will probably be more engaging than playing in an orchestra you know what I mean? I mean, sure, every job has its things, but I play like Beethoven and Schumann and Mozart a lot That's of the time. Great, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I guess like when you're on, yeah, grass is always greener wherever you are. But Seriously. you know, like or, orchestra, it's it's a really good alternative to an orchestra job. It, you know, like it, it, it's an, another opportunity. I I definitely when I I was orchestrally trained and I would love to be in an orchestra, but I I have been pleasantly really happy being in a military band, and it's just an option that is available as well as an orchestra. That's that's basically what we're saying, and giving more information that isn't out there, like the things that you wouldn't think about, like going through MEPS and basic training, which you don't have to do for an orchestra. We also have that information on there as well. And for people who don't know, MEPS is Military Enlistment Processing Station. Um, you have to you have to go there if you're if you're auditioning for a military band or once you've enlisted. Um, and basically, it, you're you're just getting a, a physical. Yeah, going to the military doctor. entrance processing. Yes. Well, and another thing, you know, I've I've spoken to other, I have friends in the the president's own, you know, Marine Band, and they'll say sometimes like, there's a lot of really amazing parts of that job, but some of it is like you trained all like for so long, orchestrally, and you end up playing a lot of marches and stuff like that, you know. But but there, but another thing they said is the job itself can at periods of time lend itself to being able to take advantage of other opportunities outside of the job as well, which I think is not something that is immediately obvious when you think about that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, it, it definitely, you know, it definitely lends itself to like th- doing something like this or, you know, taking a, going on tour in Florida, creating an ensemble. There's a choose your own adventure aspect to things that if you do it the right way and go through the right steps and process, you can create your own group and, They'll pay for you to go and, you know, if it's in tandem with recruiting, they'll pay for a trumpet ensemble to go in, you know, to Florida in February, which is awesome. But also you're doing something for that. Um, you know, like there are another aspect of, of a military band job is, you know, like maybe sometimes not the most musically rewarding, but in terms of just like what we do, say my, my fourth week on the job, I'm playing at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, doing an RFK wreath not expecting to be able to shake hands with obama and clinton and get pictures it was just you never know who you're going to play for it's always an honor doing some of the things it's just a different job yeah yeah good trumpet playing is good trumpet playing for sure well guys this has been this has been awesome and there's i'm sure so much more we could dig into but i think for me this is a good place to kind of put a cap on at least this conversation and uh, I appreciate your your openness and your honesty and your desire to to help others and to clearly just not just say like we're going to tell you this so you can come audition for our groups but just in general this is stuff that will make you able to work in the professional world you'll be able to represent yourself better you'll be a more compelling musician you'll be able to represent yourself on recording you know I mean all of these things you're providing resources that are helping people do that and I think it's really amazing so I really want to commend you guys on that and say thank you and just keep working keep doing it I know I understand the grind and I'm just saying just keep doing it yeah thank they, you so much yeah thanks so much for having us this as awesome to be honest we're looking forward to our collaboration with you with the uh, one of the the trios for the march yeah i'm looking forward to that too um uh the last thing would be uh ryan if you just want to take it uh, it doesn't really matter just where can people find you guys if they want to check out more information about uh military trumpet jobs or you guys personally as well yeah well um well military trumpet jobs.com it's all all one word that's our 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 mothership website um but on that we've got 
we've got links to all of our other social media platforms. So we're we're on Facebook, Military Trumpet Jobs. We're on YouTube at Military Trumpet Jobs. We we we're lucky that it was it was available the the, the tag. Um, we got we got Twitter, Instagram. We're trying to get more involved in those because that is the way of the future. But um, but yeah, Facebook and YouTube are our main things, and then obviously everything is then put back into the website um, as a archive, so to speak. Right. How about you as just a human being? If someone just wanted to say, I want to send Ryan a message, is that possible? Or would you rather they go through MTJ? I mean, I, I do have, I, I have all the social media platforms as well. Um, and I also have ryanbrewertrumpet.com. That's probably less used, but you know, it, people can feel free to reach out to either one of us. Um, we are always happy to help. Um, and we're just, you know, we're honored and flattered when people come to us asking for help. Yeah, so. I, we, we've had a, a, a large number of people uh, reach out to us and just to pick pick our brains about, hey, can you mind listening to this recording? And, and uh, you know, like, hey, what what is it like to be to do this or that with military bands? Or, hey, I'm thinking about doing this and just. Uh, we're always happy to do that. It, don't don't be afraid to ask and ask anyone. You know, if anything, I've learned doing this project. Just reach out. You know, if you have a question or you want to collaborate, just reach out to someone. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Uh, for you, Kevin, if there's uh, social media ways or website ways to get in touch with you, see what you're up to. Do you have anything like that? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, military trumpet jobs at gmail.com. Great. Well, anybody who's interested in anything that we talked about or just wants to give these guys some support, that's where you can do that. If you need to get in touch with me, you can do that on Facebook, or I guess that's not spit.com, Facebook and Instagram at that's not spit. If you enjoyed this episode or you had any feelings whatsoever, consider giving the episode a rating and review on iTunes and don't forget to share it on social media so other people can find it as well. One more time, Ryan and Kevin, thank you so much for not only joining me, but being patient with me while I learned how to interview two people at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it was great. You, yeah, you awesome. are you have created an awesome thing. So we are so humbled and glad to have been asked to be a part of it. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to thank my mastering engineer, Brandon Yoakum, for his work on this episode as well. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.